Hello listeners, welcome to this week's Football Annual Podcast. I'm Michael Statham and I'm here with Michael Bell and James Anchaka and we're going to discuss plenty about the Eredivisie, plus we're going to answer your Twitter questions and we'll share for you some of our favourite Dutch football memories today. Hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to leave us a like and subscribe to us on YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes. Okay, so let's start with Ajax Schalke. Um, big game tomorrow. Europa League quarterfinal, first leg. Ajax are at home. Predictions? Um, I predict, I, I think Ajax are going to win. A uh, very slender win. I think it's either going to be 1-0, 2-1 or something like that. It's interesting because it's the first match in the playoff phase where they have the first match at home. So it's more about uh, imposing themselves and looking to not concede an away goal rather than going away. And, you know, in the last round against uh, Copenhagen, they they lost 2-1, but they, they returned to the Amsterdam Arena in good spirits because they had got that vital away goal. And uh, to the loss of Lasse Shana will be interesting. He's such a big part of uh, how they play. Uh, Peter Boss calls him the controller. And Jairo Riedewald isn't in the squad, so it's either going to be Donny van der Beek or Frankie de Jong playing in that role. And Donny van der Beek, in the last two games of the Europa League, he's played... He's been very technically lacking, but um, he played in that role against Standard Liège where he was really good and set up that El Ghazi goal during the group phase. And um, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting position for either one of those kids who goes there because they go against Goretzka, who's very strong, very bullish, and who sort of give them a, a hard time and sort of try to run them ragged. And um, uh, I think um, I, I was going to go, my preferred choice would have been readable because he had the physical and technical capabilities to match Goretzka and sort of also help with playing at the back and he also has experience as a centre-back. But I think um, between those two, I'm not sure who, who, who they'll go with. Uh, Peter Bozen is pretty much... Uh, press conference tonight to uh, really let the media know which one you, who was going to pick and he said he would let the players know first so I think that will be a very interesting aspect towards that game I agree um, I think Ajax needs that more defensive midfielder against Schalke um, someone a bit more physical who's going to deal with type of threat because it's very important Ajax don't concede in the way goal it's going to be difficult for them um, at home to Bundesliga side even though they do sit in 10th um, and I think they're going to have a hard time as well trying to beat the, their back four as well as Bentaleb as well midfield who's it's always decent for Spurs um, technically he wasn't fantastic but he's yeah he can pass and he's very good at breaking down playing midfield so um, that's where I think the challenge will lie for Ajax as well um, really not conceding that goal I think uh, they should really look to challenge Bentaleb because um, he's, he's been very good for Schalke and he's very good in the higher position especially, but he tends to lose the ball a lot in the D 
deeper positions and teams tend to target to press them in the Bundesliga and um, they get a lot of joy out of basically pressuring them in the deeper positions because it lacks the sort of motoring qualities of a true, you know, deep-lying midfielder and um, even at Tottenham that was that was really a facet of his play, just losing the ball carelessly in the deeper positions. And um, they're going to be without C. Colin Asaj, who has been instrumental for them at left back. They're going to be without Chupong Wuting, which makes them easier to finish. They've got a live wire in um, Connie Plaka, who's rarely played the season, but is still a threat. Um, the um, Schalke, even though they're, tenth, they're, they're still a very strong team, they look to press the midfield, so it's going to be an interesting game for Ziyech and um, Klaassen as they sort of look to drive uh, Stambouli and Kolosinata out and um, Bentelab out of position so they can play balls into Dolberg up front. And um, uh, it's Peter Boz said in his press conference, whichever team imposes the style more wins the game. So uh, I think Ajax have been very, very strong at the Amsterdam Arena. I can't, I can't, I wouldn't be able to predict what would happen at, in Gelsenkirchen, but uh, I really back Ajax at the Amsterdam Arena. I, uh, I agree. I can see Ajax winning uh, the game tomorrow 2 1. When I look at uh, Schalke's squad, I think it's quite impressive with uh, Mbolo, Huntala, Howardes, Badstuba. It's going to be the biggest test they've faced in Europe so far with um, all the teams against all the opponents they've faced. I think Ajax will win 2-1, but uh, I'm not entirely sure they will win through in, uh, in Germany. That, that, will be, uh, that will be different, but I have full confidence for them tomorrow and um, I, think, um, I think they'll take the game to Schalke. I think they'll, uh, they'll go through the jugular and uh, I can see them winning uh, 2-1. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident actually in, in Ajax. Um, I think ZX is going to be the key man in the middle. I think he's been on fire the past couple of weeks. If he gets the space, he can create you know, chances for Traore, Doberg being back, and our big plus for Ajax. I can actually see them win. And by, I think two goals. Um, I don't think the Schalke side are you know, as strong as they've been the previous few years. I know they're still up in the Liga side and you see they're stronger than the Dutch side, but I don't think I actually scared in any way. The way I actually played at home in Europe this season definitely gives me confidence. They've won you know, all home games. Um, you know, interesting fact as well is that Schalke have never won a competitive game in the Netherlands as well. So you know, everything's looking good by Axel. And I just want to be confident going into it, thinking that you know they can get a good result. Yeah, the clashing stars is going to be interesting because you've got Ajax who are technically better than Schalke, but Schalke will be physically better than Ajax. Um, and I wonder if Bosch would want to stick with perhaps Traore up, up the top and have um, support out wide, because Traore has been in form in recent weeks, or whether he does want to switch back to having Dolberg up front. And again, I think you know the physical aspect on that is if you leave Traore up front, then you're putting in Cliver or Neres, who are quite slim. Wingers, I mean, I know Clive tore Carstorp apart, and 
in the classical, but it's that moment where, you know, they tried to go to shoulder to shoulder and, you know, Clyber just got absolutely bundled off into the, the floor and went flying. And I think, you know, these big physical Schalke defenders might just have a bit too much for them. Uh, I think, yeah, I would agree with Michael because you're either playing uh, Neres or Clive Vidal wide. And um, Neres, he's improved. He was brilliant against NEC. Um, but a match of this magnitude, sort of throwing him in there from the start, it could be a bit big, to, it could come a little bit too super. So I'd rather go with uh, Doberg and Traore. Doberg's a much better finisher, and I think you would need to rely on a much better finisher than and Traore. And Traore said to NOS after the um, after the NEC match, he's very comfortable playing out on the right, very comfortable playing through the centre, and he, fe- he feels that he can play both roles to the best of his ability. So I think uh, going with Traore Awaid, that, that, that will be better. And I think from the physical aspect, you saw Ajax against Copenhagen and they were a very physical team and they were much bigger than Ajax. And um, in, the first, in the first minute of the away game, you could see Ajax concede due, due to them like being battered physically and they concede the second goal where Delict um, um, is basically being lent over by uh, Cornelius. But I think um, Schalke are also the less physical team and they're, they're also a bit more technical and they'll try to also try to move their ball around and try to really, really press the Ajax midfield. So that's a very interesting aspect in the game, but I personally believe that when it's at the Amsterdam Arena, I think Ajax tend to team pin teams back more. They tend to sort of have their way with teams. I, I like I like to look away, look to the game against Salto Vigo during the group stage where Ajax pinned them back and the three 0 up in in seventy minutes and. Soto Vigo only had one shot on target at that time before Boz substitutes Ziyech and Doberg and, you know, Ajax collapse and end up winning 3-2. So I think that match in the group stage where they absolutely battered uh, Soto Vigo for 70 minutes gives me a lot of confidence in this team. And I think they could really, really uh, impose their style against Schalke tomorrow. I agree. I think that Schalke may even come back in an attempt to convey it with a clean sheet. Um, I like Peter Bosch's confidence going into the match. He said that he wants the team to go on two fronts. He really wants the club to go ahead with the Eredivisie challenge and a Europa League challenge. And um, well, I just wonder if, and we've spoken about it a few times recently with Ajax, is this going to hinder them? Is this going to end their their challenge on the Eredivisie front or the Europa League front, if they're going to be playing all these matches, they face Helen Vane at home the weekend, then they have Schalke away, and then it's PSV away, um, and that's all within two weeks. Four very tough fixtures. Um, can they handle it? Is that going to be their downfall? Can final take advantage of that, even though they face Utrecht at the weekend and Vitesse in the future? What, what do you think they're... I think, as cliche as it sounds, I think time will tell. I think um, 
the game against Hugh and Fane uh, on Sunday, which I'll, I will be attending. Um, I don't think they'll be lacklustre, but they may be physically um, physically worn down for the efforts for the game against Schalke. But it's also uh, not clear cut with Feyenoord having to go to Vitesse playing Utrecht this weekend and also playing Excelsior, which you would say nine times out of ten Feyenoord would win, but it's a derby. It's at the Valderstein in uh, Rotterdam. So they are, of the four remaining games left with, um, with Feyenoord, it, for, ve- for them it's not cut and dry. I think um, I think there'll be many in twists and turns ahead. And um, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But um, I think from Ajax's point of view, if, if they do feel that they can win the league, I personally think they'll put all their eggs into that basket to become champions. And if they were to bow out, uh, the quarter-final stage of the Europa League, they would see it as uh, as a form of progress, considering um, the route they've taken to top their Europa League group for the first time in, in many a year, and um, to have made significant progress on the European front. Yeah, and I think uh, there will be a situation where Plus is forced to change because you see, without they'll be without Shana this weekend. Uh, they'll be without Shana tomorrow and then he'll be back this weekend and he'll be fresh and they'll I think against um, Alkmaar they will Dortmund and um, Tete played and um, um, in the second half against NAC he took off Shana and um, and uh, Verheever and um, he basically uh, he'll basically be forced to rotate through suspensions and and things like that. And um, James is right; only time will tell. Especially, you know, that match next week against PSV. What kind of uh, what kind of what, what kind of form? What kind of physical shape that they go into that match with? And um, I th- you, and you know, Dolberg will be back. Th- He'll be back tomorrow, and he he also would have had a rest. He would, he would be recover. He would have been recovering, but he would have a little bit of rest, and, he, and you would hope that he would be fresher and you know uh, much more willing to 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 get going. And um, I think it's just the small things like that, and the way that Buzz sort of deals with sort of injuries and suspensions, and sort of taking players out and putting players in. That, that will have a massive effect on how they progress on both fronts. I think time will tell, but you know, looking at next week, you're saying that's probably the biggest week of Ajax's season. Um, it really depends on the mood going into the next game. If they lose tomorrow, you know, he might just decide to you know, rest a few players in the way like against Schalke. But if they win tomorrow, you know, he's going to go for it against Schalke, I think, next week. And um, you know, it depends on how they fare in that game going into the PSV game. I mean, PSV away is probably the toughest fixture they could have picked after Schalke away. And I think they're coming into form. And on paper, they're probably the strongest side in there, is it? Um, I think if Ajax lose both those games, you probably still see their favourites for second. But I think that's generally the title race. Title race gone. Um, then you're saying, you know, Champions League qualification is still good for Ajax. And we can still get through the qualifiers next year. And they need to make sure they don't let PSV overtake them. And then they get stuck with Europe League again. 
but Feyenoord have definitely left the door open um, with their draw against Pexwalla. Um, 2 0 down um, after not very long in the match, and luckily Burkhouse could save them. Uh, it was another disappointing result for Feyenoord. Yeah, uh, it's, they set up so well against Feyenoord. Uh, it was two moments of individual burns from Bergheis driving in from our wide and shooting. Um, they've lost Kazadov, which is a huge loss. Uh, Jorgensen will be back shortly, but he was also a huge loss at the weekend. Uh, it, uh, Dirk Coit was playing through the middle, and uh, you see why he sort of, he sort of has only played there a bit in, in his sort of two years there. Mostly because he, he when he joined, he preferred the wing. But um, I think it just makes you realize how important Jorgensen is to that team. And uh, just, I think uh, the Utrecht will be a huge game for them because Utrecht are in a good run of form. They're putting some distance in between th themselves and the other um Teams chasing fourth position, that ten points ahead of Azad. So, um, finals sort of injuries, especially to Karsdorp, who's almost like the playmaker. They they will start to add up, and it will be interesting to see. It was it will be a big test on Van Van Bronckhorst's coaching style and how he's, he he looks to galvanize his side and looks to really aid them to make the, that final push for the title with Ajax breathing down their necks. I actually think um, Van Bronckhorst made a big mistake against Pigsville and actually picking Dirk Coy. Um, Kramer did well midweek against Goethe Eagles. It's only Goethe Eagles, but he played well. Um, and then instead of picking Kramer, the more natural replacement for Jorgensen, he picked Coy and I don't think Coy you know, hardly had a chance throughout the game, and it did make an impact. And Farmer came on too late to try and save the day. And uh, I think if you switched them to from the start, I think Feyenoord probably would have had a better game and probably would have won it. There seems to be a lack of trust from Van Bronckhorst in his reserve players. We haven't seen Gustafsson play in, in a while. Um, Bart Newcote uh, has started to play some more matches, but that's probably because he's needed. For example, in the Classica, Newcote was playing in midfield when. Renat Tapia, who's a, a natural defensive midfielder, should have been given a chance, but was um uh, sorry, yeah, but he he was only brought on once there was an injury to Karsdorf, and you could have had to go to right back. And um there seems to be yeah, a lack of trust with these reserve players. Another example there with Kramer only being put on late in the game when he should have been starting as Cal yeah, he is not as effective um in the the top up top role as he used to be. I think the start of the game against Utrecht on Sunday is going to be very interesting. Um, I translated the um, the interview that Van Bronckhorst gave to the NOS after the draw against Swallow where he claimed that he couldn't really explain why they were conceding so many early goals away to uh, Sparta in Swallow and also in Amsterdam against Ajax. OK, this is a home game, but to, be sh to come out of the block sharp, to know what you have to do, to know what's expected... Uh, Van Bronckhorst himself claims that Feyenoord need to win all their remaining games in order to be champion. 
and I think he's absolutely right. I think if they, uh, I think if they slip up in the following four games, if they slip up once, I think that's it. So uh, the pressure is on for them. As I mentioned in the previous pod, as an outsider looking in, should final not win this title, I think that this will um, damage them long term. To to get so close and to finally not win the league will be uh, will be difficult for them to accept. Not just the club, but the city of Rotterdam as well, and all the people that. Uh, that won the final to do well, and also from final supports from afar. So uh, the pressure really is on for the for the club in this in this uh, testing time ahead. Yeah, I'm in agreement there, James. Um, I think final will be a very nervous heading into the next game because um, they're they're in form. I just wonder if the mentality of uh, the Rostemers is enough to see them pass. The challenge of Italect because um, yeah the visitors that they're they're in form but it's coming to the end of a season and fourth place looks to be theirs it doesn't offer them anything different to fifth or sixth or seventh apart from a better perhaps a better draw arguably in the Europa League playoffs um, so I wonder if mentality will, will be the the telling factor um, but yeah the, they do have some weapons I mean Alaire is looking for a move aboard in the summer Badasitz as well they're all players that are on form. Um, and yeah, they 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 they're very dangerous. Yeah, I think if you can attract squad, there's one man who'd like to be given a chance and would love to impress against Feyenoord. That's Zivkovic. I mean, you know, he's always wanted to try and impress. Or the way he can do it is, you know, on Sunday if he's going to start, you know, score against Feyenoord, and then you know, he might get another chance. I actually see. Yeah, and I think there's another man we'll talk about, Yasin Ayu, who's been on some form. The season he's always had the talent he's always been such a well-rounded midfielder can really get in on the physical side technically excellent uh skilled with the ball and um he has a he has a huge history of always playing well against the bigger sides um he scored the only goal um against uh ajax uh last season when ajax went away to utrecht and he and then he assisted another one when when Ajax were um, at home at Jyutra, and he uh, he's going to be one to watch. He's become the, sort of the fulcrum of the side. Amrabat, um, Sofia and Amrabat, also very diligent defensively. Uh, only twenty years old, a young player that's come to the the academy, and that Ten Hag has really groomed as he's moved forward. And you know, Giovanni Truppi scored. He scored in the match where I where Feyenoord had to come back to four four, and the where Feyenoord uh, beat Utrecht in the final minutes four three, um, in the reverse fixture. So he will be one to watch, and Utrecht aren't a team that that uh, Van Bogo should be taken light. It should be taken lightly, and uh, Ten Hag had two two chances to make uh, Europe last season in the KNVB Cup Final and the Europa League playoffs and he will be looking to consolidate fourth place so that he doesn't have to um, go into another Europa League playoff this season with a team that are very are very capable of of doing uh, of really challenging um, the other sides in the Eredivisie this season I think um, what Go ahead. What makes for um, 
showed against Feyenoord is like you've got a bit of pace against your defence that you know, was missing Cardinal. We didn't have Congo. Um, you know, pace really troubles the centre backs. Van der Heiden, Bodine, aren't the quickest. So, you know, if Feyenoord push forward against Utrecht and they have someone like Kirk or Zivkovic up front, you know, I could have big damage on a defensive Zivkovic can get away you know, with his speed. And I think, um, you know, Haller's not the quickest. So I think, you know, Ten Hag might be quite smart to start Zivkovic and Kirk up front and then uh, drop Haller to the bench. And I think that would actually work against this Feyenoord team. Yeah, uh, Peck um, started um, Menig through the middle, especially after he missed that big chance the week before, and he had a similar chance and he, and he buried it. And they were always just a third on the counter with those long balls to Menig. And um, uh, it's 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 something it's been something that's. Uh, been noticed about final by sort of the spectators uh, that the they're a good team they're very workmanlike but they aren't perfect and they've got a lot of uh, places where you can really hurt them and as I I always look at that flank flank um, that um, Nelom's on he always leaves too much space behind him he's if any winger with strength and pace takes him one on one he's in trouble and I think more teams should be looking to utilize his weaknesses. I was going to make one final point on Utrecht. Um, their goalkeeper, Jensen, the Dane, um, he's been a very good replacement for uh, Robin Valter, who got injured early in the season, and he's leaving for a free in the summer at Alta. So Jensen has been like a ready-made replacement for next season as well. Um, he's kept a lot of clean sheets. Yeah, I just want to point out that he's also been another strength for the team. Defensively, they've been very good, even though they're not star names, such as Leovin and Janssen. But they have a lot of experience there as well. Um, like Feyenoord, in a way, um, perhaps some pace would would be helpful to for Feyenoord to try and get in behind Utrecht. Um, but we, we can't count out PSV in the title race. Um, some perhaps noticed that they're, they're starting to play better without De Jong in the team. And Vahinkel has been netting plenty of goals. Um, are they a good shout still for first, if not second? Um, they're, they're kind of a rough spot right now because uh, they brought off De Jong um, in the second half, at the beginning of the second half against Willem uh, Tui. And um, there were many chants from the PSV fans telling Koku to to bring to wake up and bring on Hendrix and Locadia, and um, uh, they they sort of played the way they always have in the first half of that game. They moved the ball around. They should have been one 0 down. Tom High had a shot that went over the line, and um, it was the fans had a right to be frustrated after a draw with twenty in midweek, and then. Koku put on Lucadia and uh, you know Diong. Uh, it was it was it's sort of the bad point of the season. And the second time Koku has had to substitute one of his players at halftime for performance based issue. And then they ju- they got going. Um, they they were more threatening. And they, they the thing is they also score a lot more goals from corners. Um, 
I saw them against Fano. They 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 only had one or two corners, and then the next week they played Roda and they scored from two corners, and this weekend they they scored from two corners again, and um, when you have the left foot of Cuadrado, you're always going to be a threat from set pieces, and uh, especially Cuadrado in his own is also quite of poses a bit of a conundrum for Koku because he's been the best player of the season but he cannot he cannot continue to enjoy that luxury next season because Hendricks is raring to go. He played last week against um, Sparta Rotterdam and he controlled the game and he was he was brilliant. He was incredible. And the fans enjoyed it and he's someone that really resonates with the fans coming through the academy and they want to see him play more and he wants to play more. So um, that's why I don't see them keeping Guardado next season. And, um, you know, it's very interesting to see with them fighting for third place and, and you know, bar anything really um, bad ha- happening they, you don't expect them to move from third place, so I think uh, the young, some of the youngsters should be given a chance. You know, Lamas should get more game time uh, before next season. Uh, Hendricks should also get more game time before next season, and he should really start to bring through some of the players and start to give them um, Eredivisie experience because um, you know Bergwijn didn't get much last season he played here and there and in his first season with the with the first team his first full season with the first team he hasn't performed as well as people would like because he he, he wasn't brought through in the same way Ajax are bringing through their youngsters so I th- um, it's it's going to be it's going to it's going to be interesting to tell if you know Koku decides to continue without De Jong, who is also the captain. Um, if he if he continues with Lacadia or Lamas, I hope to see Lamas get some game time because um, he he's when we talk about um, Holland bringing through players in specialist positions, he's a very talented young striker coming through at one of the bigger clubs and. You know, I would like to see more him, him more in Eredivisie football. So, Koku in the final season of the season of the season, he could he needs to start making decisions so he can shape a good team for next season, and not just basically be thinking about you know, are we going to bring Van Henko and Zinchenko back on loan, or you know, um, continue with Ismail Marin and Schwab and and Moreno. When you know, coach Menno coach went to went to uh, went to Utrecht on loan to get much game time there, and has come back on loan. And I've seen him a bit. He looks to be a very talented young defender, and has really got the game time. So he needs to start bringing through some of these talented youngsters and try to give them more game time in the in the next week. So next season, they they're a bit more experienced. And they can perform a bit better because they they all have an understanding of the level. I think um, in the case of PSV, they can only keep winning and see where they finish uh, the season. It's going to be a very interesting summer for PSV. 
and I'm particularly curious as to how they're going to approach the transfer market, what they are going to do in terms of personnel, not just um, buying but also maybe selling. Um, uh, PSV will also be highly motivated to win the title back, uh, having not won any trophies this season, having got knocked out of the Dutch um, Cup by, uh, by Sparta Rotterdam away. Um, the pressure is also on Philip Koku this summer, because uh, to elaborate on uh, what Shaka rightly said about um, if you compare PSV to Ajax, where Peter Boss has been uh, letting the youngsters, giving them a lot of experience, I personally don't think Koku has, has really been has really been um, uh, really motivated to do that. I think he's been um, I think he's been completely uh, focused on, on winning to the point of doesn't matter how. Where maybe that's come uh, come at a cost of the of the youth team. In the case of Berlin, I was at the game last season in Amsterdam when I played um, Ajax. I think he came on for no longer than ten minutes and. I think that Koku needs to learn over the summer to find the balance of bringing, like Sam Lamos, who I think he scored almost 20 goals in uh, in the Europa League uh, in, the, in the division below. There is talent at his disposal, but he has to find a balance of uh, of letting that talent come through to the first team, as well as keeping uh, the drive that PSV have to win at all costs. So I think it's going to be a very interesting summer for PSV in many ways, particularly in the transfer market. Um, going back on Luc Dion, I think Sunday showed you know, just how much of a hindrance he's actually been on the side this season. Um, you know, he's been on fire the past two seasons, but eight goals in 30 games for a striker in the Eredivisie at PSV is a shocking statistic. Um, Ocadia showed on Sunday the movement that he has to link up where he can have round with the wings on the ball. It's so much more threatening to have Mozi Young in there. I think Koku had you know, a big decision to make for the end of the season because Ocadia took his chance on Sunday and showed that he's the man that should probably the line for the rest of the season. Or Lama's given a chance. And uh, you know, they're still got an outside chance if they beat Ajax. Ajax could slip up, they could next second again in Champions League. Can you really risk playing, you know, with Dion? up front anymore because he's just not scoring goals. He's getting chances, but he's not putting them away. I think his style up front is actually hindered the likes of Bergwijn and Pereiro. This was link-up way and uh, you know, his, lack of, his lack of movement around the box. I think Ocadia up there with Bergwijn with Pereiro, the movement of that front three could be a lot more dangerous um, going forward. Um, and this is what I see on Van Hinkle as well. His stats is coming back are uh, pretty incredible. You know, seven goals, two assists in 11 games. And you compare that to someone like Davy Proper, 30 games, five goals and seven assists. You know, Valenko is an excellent player. And um, it's going to be a big summer for him where he decides to go. If he decides to have an go at Chelsea, um, you know, will Conte give him a chance? And then if he goes to try and get loan move elsewhere, I think it didn't work out at AC Milan, tried to put him deeper. You know, it didn't work out at Stoke, tried to play him deeper. You know, him returning to PSV permanently you know, will probably be the best move for his career right now, I think, going forward. Uh, yeah, I think and it falls um it falls in line with what I'm saying. He, he said he was going in the summer because PSV don't have the money to spend like I spent on Hakim Z. Yeah, he can 
it is. And um, if that the Koku has to bring on start bring through these young players because you know if if they start relying on loans, it's gonna be like them falling back to what they used to do, and uh, um, that that proved to be very detri- detrimental for them in in the longer term. And um, I think Koku also has to. There has to be a massive restructure of the of their first team um, because they haven't been good enough this season. Uh, the the sort of brand the the football that they've played has been very bland and um, uninspired, and you can't continue to rely on moments of Guardado magic or. You know, proper getting into the right position or Van Ginkel, Van Ginkel brilliance. When you've got one of the best team, best sides in the Eredivisie who aren't performing, you know, um, uh, Pereira scored his tenth or eleventh goal, but you're hard pressed to find a, a game where you really sat back and gone, "Wow, this season he's really, he's really like played his socks off." And um, it's just basically that's the, basically a microcosm of of PSV's whole season because they have the players and uh, they have what what many believe is a very talented coach, but they haven't really put in the performances. You know, someone's going to be asking himself asking themselves, what is Zinchenko doing with young PSV? Surely he's good enough to be with uh, the first team and. Um, when he did play with the first team, he was actually quite good. And just the the way this side has been made up by brands and the, the way Koko has sort of um, has been very very um, unimpressive because they should be doing better. And these players are capable of better, and if they're not, the younger players like Rigo, Powell, who deserve more opportunity. And, um, you know, it's just been um, very, very, uh, it's been it's been very, very, very interesting to see how they've performed and how they've gone about the season. Yeah, let's make a point about um, how, it, how it is going to be a massive summer for Kaku, um, should he stay at PSV. Um, I think... He needs to make a bold move, as Michael's brought up already, about trying to play Lacardia more. He signs a new contract um, and he wants to be important for PSV. I think he should look more at being um, the main striker again the next season. Um, but when Lacardia was a main striker in the past for PSV, um, he wasn't as effective um, as perhaps was expected. That said, he was very young at the time and he has developed a lot since then. Um, but yeah, no, he, he offers a lot more movement which De Jong just simply doesn't. Um, and I don't think PSV anymore can rely on De Jong's height and presence in the box in the area to grab goals. It hasn't worked this season. Maybe defenders have realised the threat up front and they've simply stopped it. Um, De Jong's also just not been on form. Um, but yeah, no, Kaku needs to look at perhaps selling quite quite a, a, a large part of his um, first team squad. He needs to look at bringing the youth players in. Another player that um, to add to Shaka's list is Jordi Device at Excelsior. 
He's been good. He's very physical. He's a big defender. Can play centre back and left back. So he offers that versatility. Um, should PSV want to have a backup left back, for example, and uh, yeah, no players like Hendricks, Lukaku, as I mentioned, uh, Isimap need to have bigger roles next season. I don't think they can rely on Schwab um, at centre back. They can't. They can't expect to promote him to be one of the fir- first choice centre backs. And I can see Moreno going in the summer. Um, without the without Champions League football on the table, um, so they need a new centre back. They need a new goalkeeper with Zutz going as well. It's just going to be a very big summer for them, in my opinion. Yeah, and it makes you realise how much of a confidence player that Luke De Jong is, because that's the thing that burned down at Mönchengladbach and especially Newcastle. And um, you know, Koku sort of co- coaxed it out of them by letting him take penalties when he first joined and in those first few months he, he, he only scored through penalties before he, he really found his rhythm back and um, he went up from from the last season and um, this season things haven't gone his way and he's just he's just basically crumbled you know he misses one sitter a game and he basically sh- shrugs and that's it for him and you really see him and um, his games where he's had like one shot only in, in the whole game as a striker and that's been that's been appalling and someone who has said that he wants to sort of move from the Eredivisie again and show they can do it at a higher level has really has really been set back by this season because I think teams are going to look at him and say like only 10 goals in the area of VC and um, he, he hasn't got much time left to sort of play at the level that he aspires to play, play at and you know clubs will all, already be very wary of him so it's there's also going to be they also need to make a big decision of, about where he goes and um, sort of his role within the team because if he doesn't approve then they're wasting a spot on this team where and where they have a young striker who could who could possibly be better a young striker that's been that's being groomed by uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy and the youth team and uh, I agree I've said they need a new centre back they need uh, they need a new um, they they need a new goalkeeper they signed heroes the summer. Um, but, uh, and they they also need to not overstock in midfield like they have like they did this season. You know, you have CM Dion who hasn't been a starter, but when he's coming, he, he scored some goals. But that's been detrimental for the progression of um, Paul and Rigo because that's their spot in the first team taken. So they really need to have a think about which young players are gonna really get an opportunity next season which they're going to go and focus on bringing through. And um, Koku really needs to think about what system he's going to play and how, how he's going to sort of reshape his side to make them better and bring back that swashbuckling attacking style that was so prevalent during the two title-winning seasons. I think PSV would be wise to make Hinkle's deal permanent as soon as possible. If I was them... That would be the first thing I attempt to do uh, when the transfer window opens. As regards to uh, De Jong 
and stating that he wishes to go even higher and to be to prove himself again. I think I think his comments are really someone just reiterating their pride. Really, I mean, he had chances with Mönchengladbach. He had chances with Newcastle. He didn't take them. And I think although he does appear happy to be to be at PSV, um, him still with him still. Um, regularly giving comments about wanting to move on to even a higher level or to prove himself at a higher level, to prove that he can do it. I think in, I think from a personal point of view, I, I just think it's his pride and, and not wanting to accept that the chances he had at Mönchengladbach and Newcastle he didn't take. And maybe he, he wants to maybe force through a move or, or finally have that move somewhere along the line to prove. But... Um, I personally don't think you'll get that chance. I think um, there are, especially from the Dutch media, there's been for quite some time, um, different outlets have said that he should be more than happy to uh, to lead the line at PSV and should really concentrate on scoring as many goals as possible. But I think he's been a little bit sidetracked by his, um, by um, coming off uh, a title-winning season, not being able to reproduce again, and also the personal pride of, of wanting to to right the wrongs of what happened in the past when he couldn't really cut it at, uh, at higher levels. Yeah, I think the worry for PSV this summer is that nobody comes in for De Jong and get, they get stuck with him. Um, but I think if a foreign cup's going to come from, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a lower Bundesliga cup. It's going to be, you know, maybe a Portuguese side, a French mid-table side, or you know, English championships, English just promoting sides. It's not going to be high level. It's, not going to be a European side, I don't think. Um, so he's on a big contract to PSV. I'm sure he signed a five-year deal. So he's still there for another few years. So it's, it's a worry for PSV that you can't you know, get rid of him and give Fulcari a chance, give Lammers a chance. Um, if I was copy this summer, one of the signings I would make, I would sign Jerryson just from Penbeen um, and Haps from AZ. And then that sorts out there backline if Billings leaves and if he's a new centre-back, so just perhaps that sorts of out. Um, get rid of a couple of midfielders, give Hendricks more time, try and get Van Hinkle apparently. If they sell proper, then the money's there for Van Hinkle. Um, how wide to find with Ferrero, to go very fine, Arcadia, um, maybe send one more winger, but then you know, I think that should be alright for next season. They just need to get a balance right in the side. I don't think they've got at the moment. They've got too many players in midfield Nothing that's happening, and the young's happening up front. Yeah, and also paying the most in the Eredivisie in wages, and some of the wages that they're paying uh, are astronomical. So they also need to shed um, uh, some of uh, the, these high earners. Um, I think in regards to Van Hinkle, I don't think it's feasible to look at, at getting him permanently because. PSV don't have the money, and um, Van Henkel wouldn't want to join PSV permanently. He probably right now is looking at sort of him. His agent is probably looking sort of a loan to a, a team in a higher league or uh, a loan to a team around the um, a loan to a team around the Premier League again, or whether Conte would like to keep him or having him do a preseason with Conte. So I I don't yeah I would if Van Hinkle was to return to PSV next season it would be on another loan I don't think 
they would they would be looking at signing him permanently, and I don't think he would be looking at moving permanently. Sounds a bit obvious, but I can see um, Human going in for Van Hinkle for his Everton team. Um, it's a tough PSV will prove a tough game then for Aden Aden Haag um, this weekend because um, PSV are in form. Uh, but so are Ardo. They've won their last three games uh, in a row. So do Ardo really need the points? Are they as in trouble as we initially thought? First thought. It's been an incredible week for them. Um, I, think, sorry. I think what's helped them is I think the downturn of form from Sparta and NAC. I think NAC lose ten of their last games is shocking. And um, the, I think uh, Roda on 27 points, then there's three teams above them on 28 points. So that's, that's uh, really, really a predicament. And against PSV, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be looking to stack up some points together and they'll, they'll really give PSV a fight. And, and PSV for the last season or so have struggled with teams position. That's where they sort of got those draws or um or failed to really win win games. So I think um Ado would, would need to, the points just to get a bit further away from the relegation zone just in case that there's an upturn of form from NAC or Sparta, so they can be they can be secure. Um, I will be interviewing Eduardo Plan on Friday afternoon, so I think I time my interview well with uh, three consecutive wins for Arad and Haag. I think the atmosphere should be pretty good in the camp. Um, I disagree with Shaka. I think Arad and Haag have managed to pull away through their own resources that they have. They have been helped by. Uh, teams may be losing, but they, they are the ones that have won the games that needed to be won, whereas um, Sparta-Rotterdam in particular have not have not done that. Um, I think they're safe. I never did. I never suggested that, uh, that Arda Den Haag would get relegated. I always thought they would get out of it. And um, I think they're cl- uh, climbing towards safety. I think they'll be fine. Uh, Sparta-Rotterdam, on the other hand, I'm not surprised. And... Um, be interesting to see what happens with Nijmegen because they play uh, in their last four games. They play Arsenal, Alkmaar, Hulenfein, and uh, Twente, and you can't necessarily see them gaining many points from those three games. I think that Go Ahead are now gone. I think uh, I think you can safely say that Go Ahead um, Go Ahead will go. I think that um, I think the bottom three will be Go Ahead. Uh, um, Sparta, Rotterdam, and possibly Nijmegen. I think uh, I think that's what I can see happening in la- in the last four games. In my opinion, a lot of it rides upon Lodiese and Sparta this weekend. I think that yeah, I agree, James. Go ahead, are gone. Um, they lack the fight. Although I do think Go Ahead may pick up a win this weekend away at Villanueva. I think they might pull out stops, try and win that one, but it won't be enough. Um, but I can also see uh, Rhoda in the bottom three um, and Sparta. I think Rhoda, uh, they're already three points, I'm sorry, two points away from safety. Um, so it's already a bit of a fight to get out 
but they have home games against Sparta and a home game against, oh, I've forgotten. But it's against another team that are in the bottom six. Um, but NSA, yeah, I, I just, I wonder if they, they, they have the, the fight as well, like go ahead to try and really come out of trouble. Um, it's gone from bad to worse for Nijmegen and then I just wonder if anything can turn around. Luckily, they have some talented players, Hort and uh, Kaldioglu, because without them, I wonder where they'd be. Um, we'll see, though. We'll see come the end of the season. But, yeah, I, I think Rosa may, may not survive. I think Sparta might get something from there, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think Nijmegen are in big, big trouble. Um, I've been their coach, Aguala. He's been asking for help this week. Um, he's under big pressure. He's struggling. Um, you mentioned Cadiogo and, and Grot, but you know Ibao has been starting Cadiogo on the bench and, and not bringing him on to the second half. And then when he comes on, he scores goals, and then you're wondering why he didn't start again. Um, then Ibao go, I don't think he's ready. But you know the rest of his team's just not good enough. And um, they're relying on a 17-year-old to come on and inspire him. I think after the game against Ajax. He came out and criticised his players. Um, Cadiago said that it was like watching a game of FIFA. You know, it's like I actually tore him apart and nobody showed any fight, nobody tried anything until he came on. You know, the 17 year old saying that, you know, it's looking doom and gloom for them. I can't see them surviving at all. They might get to survive for the playoffs, but you know, I don't think they deserve to stay up um, with the lack of fight they're showing. Um, and then I think it comes down between Sparta, Roda, and you know, Excelsior for the last spot, Excelsior are improving. Um, you know, Rhoda, it's going to be interesting for them because you know, they've got a new owner, um, a Russian millionaire saying you know, he's going to be in the Champions League in the next five years. You know, I wonder what relegation does that plan. And you know, Nicholas and Elk is there in some, some role. I um, wonder what will happen if they go down, you know, will they stick around? Um, I think they're in big trouble. But if they get a win against Sparta this weekend, that's huge. And uh, that might kickstart a revival. But I think it's, you know, the title race is exciting. I think we're exciting running at the bottom as well. And it's a couple of weeks to go. It's anyone's to guess. I and mean, go ahead, Eagles are definitely down. But you know, there's four or five other teams that could get dragged into it. I can see Rory USA beating Sparta Rotterdam on Saturday. Um, I think that that will be a much uh, needed, uh, needed three points for them. I think whoever does finish in the relegation playoffs, uh, if you take the predictions that I've given of uh, Sparta and possibly Nijmegen, they will have their work cut out in the relegation playoffs. Normally, um, in, re- in previous years, teams from the Eredivisie that have finished in the relegation playoffs have always won through, always dispatched Uber League teams with, with little effort. But I think this year in particular, I think, the, the teams that do end up in the relegation playoffs from the Eredivisie uh, are going to struggle to maintain their Eredivisie status. I think, obviously, you're depending on, on when the, when the, when their um, promotion um, playoffs rounds uh, when they become clearer. But um, I would be surprised if there aren't at least uh, if there aren't at least two newcomers uh, to the Eredivisie next season. I'm in disagreement there, James. Um, I think in recent seasons, the teams have tended to go down. There was a time when there were three seasons in a row. This isn't too long ago as well. This is within the last six, seven years when every, the three teams would always go down um, between the playoffs and the Um 
this hasn't happened in the last two seasons, I believe. Uh, but yeah, I think this season actually there there aren't too many challenges below VVV for promotion. Um, as you can see, young PSV and Ajax are pushing towards the top end, and they they they're looking like they they can beat some teams quite easily in Europa League, and that that wasn't the case before. It tends to struggle. Perhaps that's because DC teams are strengthening, but in my opinion, they're almost the barometer for strength of the league. Um, but that's just my opinion. I don't watch too much of the Europa League. Um, but I think, yeah, I think uh, Nijmegen might struggle in the playoffs, no matter who, which team they play. Just because I think they can get caught out by a team that's just hungrier. Um, Roda will have that fighting spirit. They're almost the Hamburg or the Sunderland of the Eredivisie. They just seem to stay up by by some some sort of miracle. Um, a big team that always looks like they're going to go down, but ends up fighting to stay up. I've just quickly looked, just quickly looked at the current um, league table of the Europa League, and you've got in contention for the promotion playoffs at the moment. You've got teams like Cambrou Leeuwarden, Volendam, uh, Maastricht, Nat Breda, Almere City. I think if Sparta and Nijmegen, just to give an example of the two that I think will finish in the relegation playoffs, I think if Sparta and um, and um, Nijmegen have to face one of Breda, Volendam, Cambuur, Almere City. I personally think they'll have to work out. And I think if they were to win through, then they may well be relying on a second leg at home. Or, or because you also have to remember that the teams that, from the Europa League, that in the case of Nac Breda, they're itching to return at the earliest possible um, opportunity. The same goes for Cambuur, Leeward, and Volendam have had a very good season as well. And I, I just, I just think. When I look at Sparta Rotterdam and when I look at Nijmegen, if they are up against a physical team like Almira City, for example, in Almira, where a result is needed, then um, I think they may well come unstuck. If you've got Canberra as well, how they did in the KNVB Cup as well, yeah. um, I think it could be a challenge for, for either side in the relegation zone. Um, I'd like to see Vaughan down the come close a few occasions the past few years. And they always seem to get to the playoffs and then falter. Uh, it'd be nice to see them go back. I mean, Almir City as well. I'd like to see them and yeah, um, I just have some different teams in our division. It was nice to see the grass gap up there for a wee while. Um, I'd like to see new teams come up. I mentioned something different for the listeners. Uh, obviously, um, this is now our eighth uh, eighth podcast. I'd like to think that uh, the listeners are gaining more and more. Um, familiarity with, with all four of us really, especially with all four having something to bring to the table in terms of knowledge and uh, and um, and to learn something different and that's exciting for the listeners. What I, what I was going to suggest was that uh, on this particular occasion is that um, maybe the panel could come up with uh, certain Dutch memories they have as regards to Dutch football. For example, it could be a national team, could be a club side, um, any particular memories that stick that stick with uh, members of the panel uh, through the years, really. To give an example of my own, uh, one of my best memories is coming to Amsterdam. It was my very first trip to the Netherlands uh, to watch my team Arsenal play Ajax in the Champions League in 2003. And the whole experience to go to the Ajax Stadium to watch them play against my team, to see a, a, a Dutch team in uh, at, fir at first hand. And um, this was an Ajax team that contained um, 
Christian Kivu, Slatan Ibrahimovic, Andy van der Meijer, Stephen Pina, and it, it was a really, really, really good, young, eager side, and it really opened up my eyes to uh, to what Dutch football uh, to what Dutch football has to offer. Because obviously, I was aware of the reputation beforehand. Because obviously, you know that uh, you know that Ajax are the biggest club in the Netherlands, and uh, things works out the way they did. And I, I, my life changed really because two years later, I emigrated to live in this city. So uh, if it wasn't for that game, I, my life could have been on a completely different course. But uh, in a memory sense, in terms of football, it was just like something from a different world, really. And it was a, a fantastic experience and a fantastic memory. Uh, I hope you don't mind giving me mine. Um, there are two memories for me. Um, I guess the first that really got me into Dutch football um, was the 2010 World Cup final. Um, and it was Robin missing that one-on-one with Cassias in the World Cup final. Um, yeah, had he scored that, totally different story. And a lot of happy Dutch people. Um, obviously very disappointing. But before that, my, my, my interest in the Dutch national team was piqued by my uh, um, very, very sort of um, new interest in the OWZ. Because I followed Wolfram Bauma. I, I always, I, I'm an Aston Villa supporter. And when I when I when I, when when Freddie Baumer used to play with um Villa, uh yeah, I always seemed to like him. I'm not sure why. Um, but he was perhaps one of my first sort of um role models to be a full back. I'm a right back when I play football, but um he's a he was always a left back. He was a very good player and I always felt really sorry for him when he got that very awful um ankle injury where he dislocated his ankle and I still remember in that, that match in the Intertoto Cup when he broke it. And you saw his foot hanging the wrong way around on his ankle, and it looked it was so disgusting. But yeah, I was quite sorry for him. And then when he left Villa to return to PSV, and he became a very good player again, he he performed really well at centre back, and that was what really got me into the Eredivisie because I always wanted to follow my favourite player in another league. And then suddenly I was introduced to this whole new world of Dutch football, and never looked back since then. Yeah, for me. Um... Growing up with Dutch family, um, you know, I was always reminded of Van Basten, Hulik, Rijkaard. That was like the three names that got you know, spoken to me when I was a kid. I've always watched the Dutch national team. Um, I've supported them since I was a kid along with Scotland. Uh, first memories really Euro 96. Um, but then the first tournament I really remember was 98. And I have very vivid memories of Dennis Bergkamp scoring that goal against Argentina when I was sitting that man's house watching it and uh, going mental when that went in. Um, a lot of our memories, being a Newcastle fan, they came up against a lot of Dutch sides in the UEFA Cup back then. You know, they played here in V and them. I always remember a young class young Hunter scoring against Newcastle um, before he got his move. And you know, there's games against PSV. I remember the late Gary Speed scoring a, a late header against PSV in the UEFA Cup. And the Newcastle through there, the Craig Bell may go against Feyenoord. So great games against Dutch sides, you know, sadly Dutch sides losing halfway from Newcastle to one. But um but in the national team, just memories of you know, ninety eight, two thousand, it's always seems to be you know, they play great football, losing in the end on penalties. Yeah, that seems to be the way for me growing up. Um I mean, probably my favourite Dutch memory, it's been a recent one, um you know, the World Cup twenty ten, the Van Bronco scoring that goal against Uruguay that was Great moment, but you no, know, there's not 
many games I can remember watching where I've been happier than Netherlands hammering Spain 5-1. Um, you know, I think we could probably all say we watched that game, but you know, nobody expected it coming into the tournament. Everyone's saying Netherlands who probably, you know, probably could finish bottom of that after Euro 2012. Disaster that. And then, you know, it's playing Spain off the park. In the second half, you know, ending their reign after 2010, you know, it, it can get better than that, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I grew up an Arsenal fan and um, basically watching Dennis Bergkamp, uh, even though he was sort of an older player, the technique, uh, the form, some of his execution was still there and uh, even with Kiri, I knew he was, a very, he was a player that was very interesting to me and I always wondered where sort of ability like that is sort of uh, honed and, and uh, molded. And that's when I took an interest in Ajax and some of the players that were coming through there. And also, I watched Ajax, uh, I watched them get beat by, you know, in the Champions League by um, Real Madrid and things like that. And then I watched them beat uh, Barcelona at the Amsterdam Marina, that will forever be a game that resonates with me and um, in the way that they played. And as I started to learn, get, learn more and more about the Eredivisie, I started to enjoy it and it's one of my favorite leagues to watch now. And just, uh, I think that you feel privileged to watch a lot of young players coming through and you know, some of them you you wouldn't expect to move to higher league, and and they do, and they um and they improve, and just so knowing that you got onto you got onto the ground floor of the Berlin's is very um it's 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 inspiring, and you know it's what a bit of football is all about. I think uh, my first uh, full air division season was Memphis Depay's final season and just, you know, when he went to Manchester United and Brian Aldum went on to Liverpool, just knowing how good they were before everybody else was, was a pleasure to me and I think uh, yeah, that's what makes it such an entertaining league and Dutch football, the legends around Dutch football have always been interesting and entertaining to me and Whenever there was a documentary out when I was a kid, I was I was always there, sat in front of the TV, and um, uh, yeah, I always enjoy consuming the WC and the Dutch national team. That was nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, that that's that's obviously a very nice thing for the listeners, hopefully, and they'll they'll enjoy know, obviously knowing a bit more about us now. Um, I was hoping we could finish this week's podcast with our Twitter questions. Um, so, I have them here, and should we start with this one? And it's talking about uh, the Dutch national team. Is a Kane taking any remedial measures to rectify the youth development model that everyone else has copied to surpass the Dutch national team? I know that they invested in the uh, official campus in a place called Seist, where they have um, 
they've developed a campus where they have lots of training pitches, where they have uh, an infrastructure in terms of offices and uh, for um, player development within terms of uh, meetings and uh, modules and speeches and those kind of things. I think they, um, I think they have tried to, to push on and invest in that respect. I think, I think, just in, in recent years with. Um, with the success of 2010, which surprised everybody, it, they really felt that a chance had that a chance had been missed not to win the World Cup for the first time. My personal opinion on, on that final is that if they'd have just played their own game, they would have won that final, and that's the saddest thing for me. I think then they managed to um, uh, Euro 20, uh, Euro 2012, and, and the impressive showing at the World Cup. I think uh, I just think since. Van Gaal has gone. I think the the whole organisation has lost its way a little bit. Where they used to always put the um, the long term um, health of the national team in all facets at the very front. And now I think certain members of the Dutch FA who are only maybe looking at their own interests uh, that's overtaken that, which is a bit of a shame. But I know with the campus that they've uh, that they've developed. But they've put an awful lot of effort in terms of infrastructure to have enough training pitches, to have enough, uh, um, to have enough um, uh, amenities for, for even if there are uh, meetups of different national teams at different levels, that they have enough, uh, that they have enough at their, at their disposal to, uh, to have all the resources they need to train and to, uh, and to learn properly. Yeah. Um... Uh, undergoing a bit of a reform of the coaching system, um, you know, with Ronyan's leading role as um, head of the the head educator of the coaches in the summer. Um, I think, in regards with the youth youth system, it's in a club by club basis where you know that club is in control of its own academy and. And um, bringing through players, I think uh, with the in regards to the national team and the youth national team, there's been so much change not not only in the national team but in the youth national teams, especially in managers and systems and um, players. There's, there's been a lot of generation. There's been quite a few generations of of players who have just moved. Through the youth systems and and have haven't really gone under one coach and able to hone their styles with the national team and the youth teams and I think they're going to try to do that more. Um, they've got Art Langella, who's the the head of who is the under twenty one head coach, used to be Peck head coach and head of youth development at PSV. Um, he it looks like he will be given time. Um, he was sort of brought in at the end of a failed Euro qualifying phase last season, and now he has to sort of rebuild with a new, uh, young Aranya. And um, it will be interesting to see how that goes. As uh, um, there's a lot of coming into the Eredivisie, but it will be interesting to see how it's groomed. Uh, how how sort of players are managed and things like that, and you know, seeing 
where Freddie Cadioglu goes in the summer will also be huge because, you know, you don't want a 17-year-old going to a league like Turkey where he's sort of, uh, where it's sort of there, it's about the right now instead of, uh, let's look a few years into the future. So, uh, I think there can be, be the, the trying to restructure, they're focusing on restructuring coaches and how they educate coaches. And in regards to youth development, it's mainly just a club by club basis. Uh, the other question is how can you follow or perhaps learn more details about the Canberra Bay Professional Football Coaching Program? Any help there? KMVB site. Uh, um, there's a website where I think the, everyone sort of linked in the higher positions and uh, the KMVB have blogs. So I think um, if you just Google KMVB and then it will take you there and then you'll be able to see what's going on in and around the organization. Yeah, Texas Google. Um, so another question from Chris is. Uh, are there any larger clubs knocking on the door of Bastos? Um, and yeah, he's top goal scorer in Portugal. So have they been drawing some eyes? His goals. Um, I think if you look at all of his goals, it's, uh, they're all captains from close range. Um, I think now it's scared what he doesn't score very many goals from outside the box, and I don't think the big clubs will come in from. I think if clubs come in from, it'll be. Ones that are linked to him last summer, and um, you know Newcastle are linked to him. So you're looking at the bottom half, mid-table Premier League sides, and the same in the Bundesliga, be like a middle and side like he was at Wolfsburg. He did well there. Um, you know, it's that level of I don't think you know you're not going to get a team challenging for the title in England going for Bastos. And um, if they do, he'll be a bench player. He might come on for an impact at the end. Um, I don't think. He, he has been scoring goals left, right, and centre, and scoring Lisbon, but you're not seeing anybody linked to him at the moment. Um, I don't think there's been anybody. I know it's not summer yet, and probably will be in a couple of weeks, but you know, you're not going to get the big sides. You know, Real Madrid or Barcelona aren't going to look at Bastos. It's going to be mid table sides, if anybody. Um, I think personally, you could draw a parallel between uh, Bastos and uh, Ricky Van Rollesinkel. When uh, Ricky Van Rollesinkel was at Sporting uh, Lisbon, uh, a few years ago, he was scoring for fun, scoring regularly, making a real good impression in uh, in local press as well as international press. And he decided to uh, to go to Norwich shortly after that. So um, I think in the case of uh, Bastos, who openly claimed when he left Wolfsburg that um, I'm leaving to play more regularly, I think um, I think he'd be wise to stay at Sporting a little bit longer. Just to uh, just to see how that uh, works out. It's a it's a it's a big club. It's a nice club. I um, if I was him, I'd stay put. And if he, if he does continue to score as regularly as he has been this season, um, it'll be wise to make uh, to, to make a a, um, a sensible choice when clubs do uh, do come in for him. Yeah, I think James is right there. I think Dost is more likely to try and develop himself in the Portuguese league. The issue with the league in that country is it's deceptively strong because of the top teams, Porto, Benfica, Sporting Lisbon. And 
I'm looking at Dost's record here of goals, and apart from a goal against Benfica where they lost, he hasn't been important in the big matches. He hasn't shown particularly for the Netherlands yet. He hasn't been important for them, and I don't think he's really like he hasn't scored a couple of goals against one of the big teams to win a huge match. And I just ha haven't seen much importance here from his goal record. I think that's where he needs to improve before he can think of um, a big move elsewhere. Yeah, only one goal in the Champions League this season as well. Mm. Um, a question here about David Klaassen. What's his best position for the national team? A French midfielder, wide playmaker or a false nine? Yeah, I think... Uh... I ruled that his best position would probably be as a 10, but I think it's now as an 8. I think that's where Peter Boz has tried to groom him this season. And I think uh, his ability to just score goals um, and just create things in the final third where when he can be quite absent in games. While he's also developed the physical side of his game, he's also very strong in the challenge very good at holding off players. There's been a few instances where you know he shoved he shoved some players off in the Eredivisie, and you, you're like, wow, I didn't know he was that strong. So I think that his best position is as an eight playing back and forth, and where he's able to face play more. I think in Holland you we've got a lot of midfielders right now who can play the number eight role, but when when um either pushed in, into the higher role, they're sort of looking behind them a lot and they, they don't have sort of the instinct to really um, make, make, um, make influence the game in that position. And it's something that, that happens with Davy Proper, Klassen and a lot of players of that ilk. So I think he would do best as an eight going forward. I would um, I would select him as an attacking midfielder. He's come on uh, he's come on leaps and bounds in recent years. He made his debut for Ajax in um, in 2011, and in the past five six seasons, he seems to have grown uh, every year. Not just in uh, in uh, being a physical uh, being being more physical and being aware of uh, of his. Um, limitations to knock other, other opponents off the ball and that kind of thing, but also his presence in games. When he first arrived at Ajax and he first made his debut, he was quite slight and wasn't really um, uh, completely um, um, wasn't really completely visible, but uh, he seems to have grown in stature year on year and uh, being the captain of Ajax now, he's took to that role impeccably and uh, I would employ him as an attacking midfielder. Um, on Klassen, I think, you know, I can see a lot of parallels between him and what Sim Diong was for Ajax. He seems to be the man who gets the important goals. Um, but a lot depends on what Klassen does next. I saw an article this week, I can't remember who's quoted, but um, basically saying that Klassen's learned all he can in their division. It's time to go, and I think I agree 100% with that. You know, this summer, in class, has always been very you know, coy about it and saying he doesn't want to leave until he's the best player in the division. But, I mean, if he waits for that, he's not going to get moved abroad. And you look at him. Um, he's got a bit more to his game than 
the class he does. And I think this summer it's time for him to leave Ajax. He needs to earn abroad and widen his horizons a little bit, like Wayne Adams doing at Liverpool. He's a lot more complete player than what he was at PSV. And I think if Klassen gets to move abroad this summer, then we'll see what his real potential is. I totally agree with Michael. Um, Klassen has become a much more industrious midfielder over the last three to four years. What surprised me with his development is, um, take this lightly, I guess, but he was a relative late bloomer for the AS Academy because he wasn't the type to appear when he was 16, 17, 18. He made the, the bulk of his first appearance when he was 20, um, turning 21, and um, only then has he really gone on and rapidly developed into the player he is now this season, where he's become a hugely important player. Um, and I think that, I reckon that can only continue for class, and I think he might go on again and surprise a few maybe and develop into an even better midfielder. And I think maybe his style is suited more for England because of his newfound physicality and his ability to just grab goals and assist and, and be important, as Michael said, like Sim de Jong was for Ajax. I seem to remember when Klaassen was younger, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but um, he got a really bad injury when he was younger and he was just breaking into the Ajax first team. Um, and I think it was Johan Cruyff that actually recommended that he visit the medical staff of Barcelona and actually got him sent there to um, have a look at um, because you know, he was one of Cruyff's you know, favourite young players at Ajax at the time. I mean, if Johan Cruyff thinks you're a real talent and he's got something. Um, it's just this summer, I think, it's time to move on and showcase it outside the Netherlands. Yeah, uh, he did get that bat injury. And um, there was a bit of a gap between his debut and the time where he really started to make his mark with the first team. He did win then. He, he was in the final of the next series where they lost against Inter, Inter Milan with uh, Joel Veltman and Mitchell Dykes. And it is certainly time to move. He said he's having the best season of his career. I think um, he's 23, 23, 24 years old and Ajax are in a privileged position where they have a lot of players who can take up his role within the youth team. So I think selling him for a healthy fee would be beneficial in all aspects for, for them. And um, I think he's really uh, he's really developed in the area of VC. Um, I think uh, he's played as a 10, Frank Tripple, uh two seasons ago, played in the second half of the season as a defensive midfielder. And he's really worked with uh, Dennis Bergkamp on his technique and things like that. And you've really seen uh, the, the hard work come to fruition. And Cruyff did rate him highly, and uh, he's he's one of the better players in the league, and he's one of the players who are more ready to go to a big European European league within the Eredivisie. And we'll have one last question this week. Um, are there any better Dutch young wingers or in Z than Stephen Berkvine? Um, I think if you look at players that made an impact this season, then you'd say Justin Clive has made a bigger impact. Uh -huh. um, a few games we've seen at him at Ajax, 
Um, he looks like he's able to take on players a lot more than Bergwijn has. Um, I think both of them need to work on their finishing at the end of it, but uh, that's another one. Um, you know, Caddy Ogle's played out wide a little bit. He's had a big, big impact. Um, yeah, um, I think uh, Bergwijn, it's, it's very hard to judge potential, but he is very talented. One of the most talented wingers, his age group, Clivert, has had a better effect on games. Bergwijn, um, when he's played it, he missed a huge chance um, against um, against Rostov away at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think if he scored that, I think it would have been a different season for him. Uh, it was almost a, a week, a few weeks after he scored his first goal against C. Uh, and then um, quite a few chances where, where he's missed them and you've been like, wow. And he, he just needs to, I think, improve in the way he sort of takes on defenders. Um, Private is very clever in the way of takes in the way he takes on defenders. He, he's never he never ever lets a defender stand up to him. He just he's always on the move. He's so wily. Um, he's so agile. And I think Bergwijn needs to add more of that to his game. And um, when 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 he plays, he needs to be more demanding of the ball. He needs to really try to. Uh, his own hands needs to get into the perfect position, and I, I hope that, that part of him is groomed with time because I think those uh, Kyvert and Bergwijn are sort of uh, Dabney De Santos and our players of that oak are sort of the creme de la creme of some the Dutch Dutch wingers coming through right now. I think it's uh, only right to mention Bellasvain and Justin uh, Kleibert. One thing I would say, the difference between the two, Peter Boss appears to be giving Kleibert more and more game time coming in as, uh, um, uh, for, coming in as a sub uh, on most occasions and um, giving him more and more confidence as the season goes on. I don't think the same can be said for Koku with uh, Bellasvain. Because I don't think Koku has been completely focused in in bringing in the youth talents that PSV have, and that's going to be a massive key for them in the summer. Uh, if Berlin would have maybe had a manager who would uh, show um, show as much uh, confidence in the case of what Peter Bross is doing with Clivet, he may well be a little bit further on in his development. But um, as I said um, right, previous weeks, you know when we when, when we had a discussion about players. Uh, um, maybe not giving their all before um, before um, moving on for past this new a very young age. I, I stated, but um, I don't believe it's just the players. It's also uh, down to the manager they have in, in the manager making the right decisions for their, their their development. And I don't believe that Koku has done that enough with uh, Berlusconi in this instance. One player that I like. I go, Michael. Yeah, I was just going to mention that uh, Voskov, Mitchell van Bergen of Potesse, even if you look at um, Ersa Vizzi, Vivi Benlo, who are coming up, um, they have Vito van Croy, he's a young winger, um, Dutch under-21 international, and um, I think he could have a big impact on their division next season. He's young, he's really talented, he scores loads of goals in the second division, um, and he'll come through next year when he's in the Dutch top point. Yeah, 
I was going to add um, an, add a, another Eredivisie player into the mix and say Milo Rashidja. Um, he's probably one of the most skillful players in the league. Um, I just worry for him that he maybe is a little bit one too one dimensional. Um, as he uses his pace quite a lot, um, his crosses and is, is very good. I just think he's a little bit um, a little bit predictable on times, but what he does, he's very good at it, and he's one of Vitesse's um, most dangerous players. I think he's going to get better, and he'd do well in a um, in a league like Italy where the ball is on the floor quite a lot, and he could really impress there. I think maybe not this season, but after the season for Vitesse, he might look to kick on elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. I think he's a he's a wonderful talent. Um, also to mention, you know. He's a young Dutch winger as I come through, but there's, there's several young Dutch wingers actually playing abroad at the moment. You've got Chong at Man United, he's a big talent. Um, Daniel Malin at Arsenal, and you've got Mink Peters at um, Real Madrid as well. They're now three young Dutch wingers to look out for in the future, I think. So that's all for this week on our Football Only podcast. Hope you enjoyed our eighth instalment of this, and Give us your feedback on this week's podcast. Let us know what you want to hear more of in future. Give us your questions ahead of next week. And make sure to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening.